Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. We have a full program today with headlines from the end times with Larry Spargimino and James Collins. But first, Doug Woodward is back to continue to look at the lies and propaganda that is being used about ancient aliens and how it supposedly fits into how we all came into being. For centuries, humanity has been fascinated with the planet Mars. As one of our closest and most familiar neighbors, the red planet has served as the source of legend since the very first storyteller slept under the stars. It's also easy for us to forget that 60 years ago, life was believed to exist on the planet Mars. Before the Mariner flybys in the 1960s, most scientists thought Mars had water and life. Today, however, most scientists believe that Mars once had life and that it's just a matter of time before proof of ancient alien life on Mars will be discovered. Joining me again on the Watchman on the Wall to talk about Mars and its role in last day's deception is author S. Douglas Woodward. Doug has written a great book on the ancient aliens theory and its relationship to the planet Mars. The book is titled Lying Wonders of the Red Planet, and we're blessed to have him back with us today. Doug, welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Well, Doug, yesterday we were talking about the television program Ancient Aliens, and in the book you described that very popular television series as a religious program. Now, why do you call Ancient Aliens a religious program? It's dealing with topics that usually religions try to deal with. All religions tend to try to provide some understanding of the supernatural of God or what constitutes God. They attempt to describe what our problem is and how we can solve that problem. Obviously, Christianity has a particular solution to the problem of sin, and it's called the death of Jesus Christ and our accepting of him into our life. And that is how we solve the problem of sin, rebellion, and so forth. But the ancient alien postulate is that there is no God. There are extraterrestrials. And somehow the extraterrestrials actually came to Earth. They transformed a primate type of race, increased their intelligence, and turned them into, in effect, ultimately a rebellious race that threw out the gods, the extraterrestrials, and then began its own history of its own civilization. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what the basis or the foundation of the ancient alien theory is. You're not making the claim that aliens are ETs from another planet, but really are actually instead evil angelic beings, and this is part of the lying signs and wonders of the last days, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I believe that there is a tremendous amount of deception, and that this ultimately works into the final great deception that Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians 2, hence the name lying wonders of the red planet. That the story of Mars and how it's influenced our civilization is right at the center of the great deception that ultimately will occur, and we are just on the cusp of that, in my opinion, at the present time. You write in the book that the popular history of the planet Mars is linked to the paranormal. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? It's very obvious when you begin to look at the different astronomers, and there are two or three that stand out, that they had an interest both in astronomy and in occultism or spiritualism. So there are two names that stick out. One is Percival Lowell, uh, L-O-W-E-L-L. I used to drive through Lowell, Massachusetts on my way to work back when I lived in New England. 
and that was probably named after his brother, who was the president at Princeton, or Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. But Percival Lowell, back in 1895, wrote a book on Mars, and prior to that, he had done a tour in Japan of Japanese occultism. And so he got very interested in the concept of occultism, and so it was kind of woven into his thinking that Mars had supernatural meaning, one of the most outlandish things that people believed, and I mean many, many people believe this in the 1920s and 1930s, is that when we go to heaven, we go to Mars. <laughs> it was literally the thought of so many. And the other name that's fascinating is a guy named Camille Flammarion. He was a Frenchman. Like Lowell, he lived sort of at the turn of the century and into early into the 20th century. He wrote a super number of books dealing with the same thing, but he was extremely into the occult. He did a great deal of investigation into mediums and into what we would call parlor tricks, table wrappings and levitation and all of that. And so he was fascinated by that. And once again, as a guy named Robert Crossley, who wrote a book on the literature of Mars, he points out that there were many authors writing books where they were making this very strange connection between the occult and Mars. And so it has to do, I think, with the belief that there are spirits or gods or former individuals that are still living on Mars, perhaps underground in underground bases, and that they are forebears, they're our ancestors. That is an alarming, very frequent concept that one reads about when you study this topic. Well, now, you write about that in Lying Wonders of the Red Planet, about those who believe that there are actually secret underground American military bases on Mars that were built there after World War II. One man in particular named Michael Relf claims that he served as a member of the United States Armed Forces on Mars for over 20 years, but he was cheated out of his retirement benefits because his service on Mars was not counted toward his military retirement. And as a guy who spent over 20 five years in the Army, I really need a grain of salt to take that story. But t t tell me about the belief in secret military bases on Mars. Yeah, it's very common, and this gets into one of the more, I would say, kind of creepy or freaky aspects of the story of Mars, is that you had a number of books and cartoons and TV shows in the 1950s that talked about the face on Mars. And in a book by a guy named Jack Kirby, that's a famous cartoonist that invented a lot of the famous cartoon personas that we know about. Jack Kirby had done a, a famous comic book based upon the concept of the face on Mars and that the astronauts stuck into the underground bases through the eyes of the face on Mars and they discovered an entire underground base with manufacturing and all kinds of things going on, obviously humanoids. And so that's one aspect of it. So you see a number of space programs that made this hint. There's so much there, it's really difficult to pull it all together. But the other aspect of this is the so-called remote viewing contingent that was part of the U.S. Army that was operating really in the late 1960s, 1970s. Some would say it's probably still operating today. It's just it's clandestine. But the remote viewers, there were probably less than a dozen and they actually would use their clairvoyance and their ability to do what we used to call soul travel, 
and they could travel to Mars. One person in particular, General Stubblebine, who was the commander of this group, said that there were absolutely military bases under the surface of Mars. And then the last thing I'll mention is the name of a guy named Andrew Basaccio. Andrew is a lawyer that lives in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from Portland. He has been on numerous programs talking about Project Camelot and the ability to do what they call jump rooms. He would go into a jump room near the LAX airport and be transported in less than 15 minutes to Mars. And so he also talks about the military bases on Mars. And perhaps surprisingly, I don't think he would mind me mentioning this, Steve Quayle believes very strongly that there are these military bases on Mars. He says he has talked to a number of military persons that confirm that it has been there for a long time. And there's this other phenomenon known as the secret space program, which says that we have the public program, which is rocket-based, the secret program, which is based upon anti-grav flying saucers. So this stuff gets really deep. And, you know, I think it's a fascinating read. I think people, if they're interested in this kind of thing, they, they would find this book delightful. It was probably my favorite book to write just because of so many things I learned. I was in the Army for a long time, and every time the military would send me to Iraq, I felt like I was on Mars, but I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not convinced, but it, you mentioned the face on Mars. Now, in 1976, Viking 1 photographed the Martian surface and captured an image of what appears to be a human-like face looking skyward, and you mentioned that NASA may have covered some of this up, that there may be evidence of cities and pyramids. Tell me about that. Yeah, there's two guys that have done lots of research, a fellow named Richard Hoagland and another fellow named Mike Barra. They wrote a book together called Dark Mission, which was really the story of our antics going to the moon and what they called the ritual alignment theory of NASA. NASA, it turns out, is dominated by Freemasons and Nazis, historically. Werner von Braun, of course, was a member of the SS and was the head of our program. And he was very much into the occult and a friend of Himmler and all that. So you shouldn't be surprised by that stuff. But nevertheless, they talk about these phenomenon. They talk about the photographs. Barra has two books where he walks you through photograph after photograph of Mars. And, of course, the quality of the photographs today is far better than what it was 50 years ago. There are definitely a lot of photographs that make you scratch your head. Another interesting group is a group called... SRI, Stanford Research Institute, and I've actually struck up a friendship with a strong Christian evangelical brother, Lambert Dolphin. Yeah, I love Lambert. He's a friend of mine, too. Yeah, well, he's just a great gentleman. Well, he was very involved. He actually was the officer at SRI, Stanford Research Institute, that did a study on the face of Mars. And you know Lambert, he's quite a conservative Christian, mm -hmm. and yet he and I have talked and we believe that there is something to this, there's some types of artificial structures on Mars, and to another question that you've asked before, it could play a major role in helping to confirm that we are not the first civilization in this solar system. Now, do I believe that? Honestly, I don't know, but the evidence is surely intriguing. The more you study it, the more you kind of have to shake your head and say, well, maybe there's something to this. 
If you're just tuning into the program today, I'm visiting with author S. Douglas Woodward about his fascinating book, Lying Wonders of the Red Planet. And the book is available right now by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can always order online at swrc.com. Doug, in Lying Wonders of the Red Planet, you write about the theories of author David Flynn. Now, didn't he believe that the Garden of Eden was actually on Mars? That's an interesting question. If you read the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, we know it's talking about the prince or king of Tyre, and it drifts into this whole discussion about this cherub that was in the mountain of God. He was in the Eden of God and he was walking amongst the stones of fire. And so in Ezekiel's presentation, there appears to have been a Garden of Eden in what was known as the Mountain of God. It's not clear whether the Mountain of God was in fact Mount Zion or even possibly Mount Hermon in northern Israel, Mm -hmm. but it's conceivable that it might have been. But it appears in Ezekiel's account that there was an Eden somehow in another dimension, and this is where God dwells, in that this cherub, which we call Satan or Lucifer, was there, and he walked amongst the stones of fire, and then, of course, that passage goes on to talk about his fall and the fact that he became the opposer or the adversary to God himself. And so David talks about this as a possibility. So the question is, well, if for some reason Mars or Rahab, this planet that Mars may have been connected with, which was eventually, we believe, destroyed and became the asteroid belt, that perhaps the connection there that David's talking about is the garden of God may have been on Mars or in Rahab, and it was destroyed by God as an act of judgment. So this is something that goes way beyond what the Bible talks about. There's only a couple of hints in the Bible that this could have occurred. So we have to take it really with a grain of salt. But yet, I've always believed that you look at all the evidence and you try to understand what might be the case. And there's some aspects of this story that the Bible doesn't talk about. And it may be that it's a missing chapter that when we get to heaven, we'll learn about. We're probably not going to learn about it right now, though. Well, in the book, you write about two very famous inventors, What do Marconi and Tesla have to do with Mars? This is a real fascinating story. Both of them were the inventors of wireless technology. Marconi was known as the radio guy. He was an Italian, but in England. And then Tesla was from Eastern Europe, and he moved to the United States, and he became an apprentice to Edison. Both had developed wireless technologies, and I'd say that Tesla in particular talked about his ability to communicate with the Martians via radio. And he talked about this first happening in 1901 when he was in Colorado Springs, and he was testing wireless technology there as a means of lighting up lights so that lights could glow, but there would be no wires. And so Tesla, of course, was working on those kinds of things, much to the disdain of J.P. Morgan, who did not want there to be free energy in the world because he had too many oil properties. Tesla was working on this, though, and he claimed that he was talking to the Martians. There's other legends that were created of Marconi, and they become very wild legends, Marconi and Tesla going to South America and doing studies and research, both of them faking their deaths, 
in doing studies and research on flying saucers, anti-gravitational vehicles, and so forth. So I take those with even less than a grain of salt. <laughs> Maybe a whole pocket full of salt, <laughs> but fascinating anyway. Do you think the government has knowledge of alien life, and if so, will disclosure ever happen? I think the answer is yes. And now, is it alien or is it ultra-dimensional? Is it a right. spiritual force? A- angelic beings. You know, yeah. Of course, yeah, exactly. I think it's angelic beings, and many of them, of course, posing as gods or extraterrestrials. I think that the government does believe this. There's so much research that I've done on this topic. There's even a pretty strong suggestion that the reason that JFK was assassinated was because he was actually going to disclose to Khrushchev the interaction that we are having with the aliens. And, of course, it even goes back before him to Eisenhower, supposedly, who had met with the aliens and made an agreement. Now, again, were they aliens? Eh, I don't think so. There's something going on. Stan Dale, I don't know if you know Stan. Uh-huh. He and I have had many discussions on this. He wrote a forward to another book that's kind of related to this topic called Revising Reality, which is a book on cosmology. Stan had a lot of experience working in this area of anti-grav machines, actually in Australia. And at the time, he was working with a guy named Edward Teller. That name might be familiar because Edward Teller was, in fact, the father of the hydrogen bomb. But Stan talks about in that forward of that book some of the experiences that they had and the fact that the aliens were already taking over programs that had been initially set up as joint programs between humanity and this alien presence, whatever it is. Very strange stuff. And I think we have to place this in the context of deception leading up to the final great deception that, as Jesus said, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. Doug, I really, really appreciate your ministry, and I hope that you'll come back soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. The complete two-day conversation with Doug Woodward is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Today we have Doug Woodward's book, Lying Wonders of the Red Planet, Exposing the Lie of Ancient Aliens. This book exposes the push and conditioning of people to believe the theory that we come from ancient aliens. Order your copy of Lying Wonders of the Red Planet today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Pastor Larry Spargimino joins James Collins now to look at some of the latest headlines from the end times. Welcome to Headlines from the End Times. In the days of the Old Testament prophets, God said to appoint a man to stand guard on the wall. The watchman would scan the horizon for signs of danger. When an enemy was spotted making advances on the city, the watchman would sound the alarm. Each day we see more and more signs that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we seek to make sense of the nonsense and sound the alarm of the truth of Bible prophecy in current events. Our first story comes to us from New York, where the United Nations General Assembly recently passed a resolution that calls Jerusalem's Temple Mount by its Muslim name only. The so-called Jerusalem Resolution 
is part of Islam's effort to erase Jewish history and rebrand the site as exclusively Islamic, adopted by a vote of 129 to 11 with 31 abstentions. The resolution refers to the Temple Mount, which is the holiest site in Judaism, solely as Haram al-Sharif, which means the noble sanctuary. The hypocrisy of this resolution is truly outrageous. The Jewish presence on the Temple Mount dates back 3,000 years. The Jews were there 1,700 years before the Muslims. A resolution about Jerusalem that does not refer to its ancient Jewish roots is not an ignorant mistake, but it is an attempt to distort and rewrite history. Our next story comes to us from India, where dozens of Christian churches in that country have been banned from holding worship services. Authorities in India have imposed a complete ban on Christian religious gatherings at the behest of radical Hindu nationalist groups. The church closings came about because of several anti-conversion laws, which presume that Christians force or give financial benefits to Hindus to convert to Christianity. This is just another example of the rise of Christian persecution. While some of these anti-conversion laws have been in place for decades in India, no Christian has ever been convicted of forcibly converting anyone to Christianity. These laws, however, allow Hindu nationalist groups to make false charges against Christians and launch attacks on them under the pretext of the alleged forced conversion. We must pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in India. In a related story, a member of the British Parliament recently implored British Prime Minister Boris Johnson to send the military back to Afghanistan to rescue 228 Christian missionaries. Ian Paisley, who is a member of the House of Commons, stressed the need to get the 228 missionaries to safety in light of the Taliban takeover. Paisley said, quote, Prime Minister Johnson is aware that there are 228 missionaries in Afghanistan currently under the sentence of death. Those missionaries need to be taken out of Afghanistan, close quotes. A representative for Prime Minister Johnson said that the government would do everything they possibly can to successfully evacuate the people from Afghanistan. Open Doors, USA. A United States-based Christian persecution watchdog group ranks Afghanistan as number two on its list of worst countries for Christians to live in. It is impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan. All Christians in Afghanistan are extremely vulnerable to persecution. Areas controlled by the Taliban are particularly oppressive. We have no way of knowing who these 228 missionaries are, but whoever they are, they are in grave danger. Our next news item also comes from Afghanistan, where four of the five Taliban members released from Guantanamo Bay by the Obama administration in 2014 in exchange for admitted United States Army deserter Bo Bergdahl are now members of the new Afghanistan government. Four members of the so-called Taliban Five have joined the new government as the Director of Intelligence, the Minister of Borders and Tribal Affairs, Deputy Defense Minister, and Minister of Information and Culture. The fifth member of the Taliban Five, Mohammed Nabi Omari, was appointed to serve as Governor of the Eastern Coast Province. So, let me see if I understand this. 
five known terrorists who were captured, who were being held at Guantanamo, were traded for an admitted military deserter. And now they hold government positions in Afghanistan? What does the United States government think about this? Well, when asked, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said, Despite professing that a new government would be inclusive, the new Afghan government contains no women. You have got to be joking. Terrorists are once again in control of Afghanistan, and our Secretary of State is more concerned about the lack of women in their government. You can't make this stuff up. Our next story comes to us from Canada, where a Canadian human rights tribunal has ruled that a restaurant wrongfully fired an employee who demanded that the business use non-binary pronouns. The tribunal then went on to award the ex-employee $30,000. The British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal ruled in favor of Jesse Nelson, who prefers the pronouns of they or them. At issue was the restaurant's use of female pronouns for Nelson and the latter firing of her because she had become so militant in her demands to be identified as non-binary. Oh, well, those pesky little pronouns. You know those very dangerous little words like you, him, and her. In some places, you had better watch how you address him and her because if him wants to identify as her, you had better fall in line or him or her will have you in court. Give me a break. Our final story comes from Missouri, where a church was awarded nearly $150,000 following a dispute with the local government over COVID restrictions. Jackson County, Missouri agreed to pay $146,750 to Abundant Life Baptist Church in Lee Summit as part of a settlement in a lawsuit filed by the church against the county. The church raised concerns that the county's COVID-19 restrictions treated places of worship more harshly than secular entities. In Jackson County, secular businesses were allowed to be open at 10 to 20 percent capacity based on a building size. In contrast, the county said that churches could not have more than 10 people in their venue, regardless of its size. We will see more stories like this one as the fallout continues over the government overreach that occurred during the height of the COVID crisis. That will wrap up this edition of Headlines from the End Times. For Dr. Larry Spargimino, this is James Collins leaving you with the words of the Apostle Paul, who said in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Order your copy of Lying Wonders of the Red Planet by Doug Woodward today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online swrc.com. As always, remember, when you order a book, DVD, or other resource from Watchmen on the Wall, you are supporting this ministry and the outreach on the radio, online, and around the world. As the world races toward its momentous end times encounter between good and evil, known in the Bible as Armageddon, a deepening antagonism is developing worldwide against conservative Christians. Tomorrow, author Derek Gilbert will lay out the details on the coming war between Christians. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.